Hello, and welcome back to the Brothers Book Club podcast. This is going to be the final episode of the podcast. Just wanted to set the tone right away uh, because this one killed me, folks. We're, <laughs> we're back with another. I didn't know how to intro it in a humorous way that I make, make myself laugh, which probably means it wasn't funny. But that's how that's where we're at here. That's how the tone of the episode is going to flow. Uh, but we are back formally and officially with another Penguin Little Black Classics collection. This is our review show for now. Uh, Penguin has a set of 80 works of kind of international literature, heavily Russian, I'm learning, uh, between this week and some previous reads in the collection. And so we're here to review and recommend two short stories by Leo Tolstoy. Joining me on the other end, as you've heard, is friend and co-host of The Pod, Amanda. Hello. (laughs) <laughs> Amanda, would you like the podcast to end after this episode? Uh, I, I mean, I would seriously consider it, except I, I feel like Penguin has to redeem itself, right? <laughs> I think so. I think so. And I'll just say this right away. On the back cover, their pull quote for this story was that the How Much Land Does a Man Needs story, the titular story, is apparently recorded. It is James Joyce's favorite story ever. What? Yeah, he said it's the greatest story ever written. What? Baffling, I know, and <laughs> so antithetical to the style of James Joyce and the and the writing proclivities yeah. and the just general vibe that a Joyce story gives off. I couldn't think of two more opposite things than that short story and his writing. So yeah. here we go. <laughs> wow. You and I, of course, are as ever ignorant, and James Joyce is a literary genius, so we're just here to offer our slight critiques and review of these Tolstoy short stories. That's all we can do. I also think, I don't know, I'm not a defiant person. Actually, I'm actually extremely stubborn and defiant by nature. Never mind. <laughs> Take that back. I, what I meant to or what I'm trying to set up here or establish early is that part of me thinks I don't want, you never want to let the, the bad people quote unquote win. And that's why I don't think we can end the pot after this episode of man. It's why we mm. have to trudge on. It's why we yes. have to forge ahead. Yep. Because we can't we can't just kill this endeavor off, this huge, beautiful endeavor we've, you know, undertaken just mm-hmm. because Tolstoy wrote a couple of real duds here. <laughs> that apparently James Joyce absolutely loved. <laughs> I, you know, it, literary history is complicated and perhaps <laughs> it was a stylistic thing. Perhaps it was just a, a, some kind words or some words of admiration. We'll give James Joyce the benefit of the doubt. I also didn't look up the context of that quote, so who knows? Uh, But Penguin has chosen, as as I've mentioned now numerously, two short stories by Tolstoy, who is another I would put, I would actually rank him among the most famous kind of just literary titan names that we've covered on the pod, though, you know, Penguin's not chosen lightly. Most of the authors we've covered are kind of enormous figures in in the history of writing and literature, but Mm -hmm. Tolstoy is up there. Yeah. Had you read any of his work before? Um, I had read, I think a part of Anna Karenina and then the death of, yeah, yeah. uh, Ivan Ilyich. Yes. Did he write, right. he wrote that one, right? Yeah. That <laughs> or the Dostoevsky did. Yeah. Let me, uh, yeah. one of those two did. <laughs> I feel like he read it. A lot of the Russian authors are, are starting to blur and blend in my mind, which I feel kind of justified to say. I, I mean, Tolstoy, it's, it's war and peace, right? I mean, that's the, yep, that is the work peace. that will forever be associated and connected to his name, a book that I have never even attempted because the length strikes me as an honest joke. Uh, I just can't (laughs) fathom. I can't fathom any human being's mind being so interesting that they could write something of that length and make it interesting. But I could be completely wrong. 
See, War and Peace, that's that's something more along the lines of what I, I imagine James Joyce would enjoy. <laughs> I, yeah, certainly. It, certainly. It has that uh, it has psychological complexity to an nth degree, as they say. Yeah. But yeah, I, and I've read excerpts from it, and I'm sure it's a perfectly beautiful work or whatever. I'm not going to vouch for it here. But just the length, the, there's a, a certain arrogance when a book hits a certain length. There's a, like an inherent arrogance to it that I find very off-putting. Yeah. Like it's to to put yourself out there that much and think that you have something th- of that length with of such worth or whatever that you're implying that somebody should dedicate that much time to the, the genius you had or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just seems arrogant to me. Anyway, I'm already going in and I shouldn't be yet because we should start with our one sentence simile reviews as we always do on these review episodes. These are just what they sound like. We will review the Tolstoy stories here in one simile. Why don't you start with yours, Amanda? Because I think I'm just going to jump onto yours. Sure. Uh, Reading this is like sitting through a contemporary church service. Um, I haven't been to church in a long time. And the only times that I've been uh, have been to, you know, watch my mom perform or my brother perform uh, during Christmas. Mm -hmm. But of course, they still have a sermon at the beginning. And since they're trying to reach the youths (laughs) of the church. TikTok dances and stuff. (laughs) What they do is they try to bring in, you know, like stories that um, like are related to the biblical stories without actually being the actual biblical story. And that's what it felt like to me when I was reading uh, these stories is that it was a preacher teaching me a moral from the Bible and using some kind of realistic story that probably he made up, but is not fantastic in any way. There's no like magic. There's Mm. nothing like that. Um, And it's very realistic in order to teach me a moral. And that's what it felt like to me as I was reading this. I just wanted to add on to your setting, the context, the context or contextualization of your story or your comparison. Like I'm thinking church service with no air conditioning. (laughs) It's mid July, mid August. You're hungover for some reason. Going to church hungover is just one of the truly devilish things you can do, not only morally, but just in terms of treating your body and your mind. So like, let's say you're a high schooler who somehow got into some booze, you know, you're hungover. I just think you have to add so many miseries to it. I think I always, I grew up uh, Presbyterian, which as I've come to learn is like a pretty tame uh, sect of Christianity as far as ritual goes and as far as like really hammering you with the long services and all that stuff. It's a pretty reasonable amount of commitment they're looking for, at right. least I think now in retrospect. But I think uh, the things I took to in the church was always the sermon because it always felt special. It felt like the person thought about it. They basically just give a little lecture, you know, right. which is cool. It's like, okay, they they read this text, they read their little Bible passage, and then they have the thoughts on it and they connect it. And it's just, it's a lecture basically. And the, it was the ritualistic stuff, the singing, the repeating the prayer, the same thing. That stuff just killed me. That was the stuff I just could not stand. So this just felt repetitive to me. So it felt like the killer parts, you know? That's hilarious because uh, with church, uh, I also, I grew up Korean Presbyterian, um, hmm. which is Presbyterian. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's Presbyterian. Um, but like also you, your lessons are in Korean and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I did not enjoy my experience um, with that, but my, my dad and, grew up Catholic. And so when I would go to Maine during the summers, 
um, my Nana would take me with her to church sometimes. So I got to experience the, um, the Catholic church and I actually really enjoyed going to church with her because of the rituals. I right, enjoyed, it's like much more song. rote. Yeah, it is. And it, it was, it seemed to me more peaceful and, um, more majestic in a lot of ways. And that's, I was in yeah. awe of that. I wonder too, if that part of it becomes almost like decorate decorative. Mm-hmm. I remember our Presbyterian church had such a functional utilitarian look about it. There was, yeah. you know, there's just like a basketball court in there for some reason. It had like a cafeteria, you know, it's just very pragma- it's just a pragmatic <laughs> yeah. building. You know, it was just the building itself just oozed pragmatism and functionality, mm-hmm. but the Catholics, it seems will go, they go in on the decorations. It's like, I mean, to a certain person, it would seem really gaudy. I bet yeah. like, this is really excessive. And, you know, you see pictures of the Vatican and, just the decorations feel like they haven't changed since people were plundering in the 900s or whatever you know it just it feel it can feel very i don't know old and excessive no i think that's a great one yeah i think uh i think the way we also experience the church is maybe um, a reflection of the way that we experience literature because i like the ornate and i like looking at the beauty mm-hmm. of the words and stuff like that, the lyricism of things. And you might find that t- tedious. You rather would look at like the progression and the non-repetitive nature. Yeah. That's an interesting way to think about it. I, I would say I tend to go for yeah, repetition does stick to me in a negative way. I think I, yeah. I agree with that. And there are certain, and I think that uh, also when I did Bible study stuff, I went to a Catholic college though. I'm not Catholic or really religious, but when we did, we had to do our theology classes and, say what you will about the Bible, you cannot say it's not repetitive. And it, I yeah. found it pretty grating to read. And I read literally most of it. If not, I actually read the entire New Testament 100%. I did that because I took a class that was just the New Testament. Wow. <laughs> so I've read a lot of it, I think more than most people. And so anyway, I just found it extremely boring to read. And, and sure, it's one of the most influential things ever put down on paper, but it just, the style of it really grated on me. It felt like it felt repetitive in a way you'd like need to teach. It felt like you would need to, if you're really trying to persuade someone who's non-believing, it's the kind of like simplistic repetition, like you're being hypnotized, you know, that's how the kind of, that's how it kind of comes off is like, don't you get it now? Like we're going to, we're going to lull you into this. That's a great way to put that. (laughs) I think we are, I think we are digressing (laughs) simply because we don't want to talk about this book. We joked in text earlier that this might be the first like sub 20 minute episode, which now seems impossible. And that's good. We're having a lovely conversation, having a great chat, but we should probably continue on with the review and actually talk about this very uninteresting work of literature uh let's make connections this is the other thing we like to do at the top of the review as episodes um any connections that set out i'll start with mine yeah both stories dealt with peasants who are just trying to make it you know they're trying to rise and advance in their society advance in the world it's kind of that rise and grind mentality we get sold to us now from mostly from like celebrities and athletes mm-hmm. basically people in culture who promote you know there's a lot of like products that you can promote online the fitness wear i feel like it's it either relates right to your finances and career or to like you know your body both of which you should be a total master of and it's just like keep progressing you know be be in better shape or be fit or like keep your career progressing make more money do go to the seminar and i i think those attitudes are extremely clear here though you know just filtered through 18th century peasant life or 19th century Russian peasant life, basically. Yeah, that's great. How about you? Any uh, clear connections to the present day? Yeah, it was um, my connection is just like the the general mood of change. Um, 
mm-hmm. uh, the the need for change in our culture and in our social value system specifically, like with the Black Lives Matter movement, the Me Too movement, all those movements where it's advocating for a change in mentality. I think that right, right. that's what Tolstoy and and I was reading up on his um, Wikipedia page to I knew some of the stuff about Tolstoy. I just wanted to refresh, but you know, mm-hmm. he was yeah. very uh, liberal and gave up his title and everything else to, to live the life of like a peasant and embrace his faith and all this other yeah. stuff. So it was, it's all about, and his, the message in both of these stories is just like, you know, you don't need stuff. You just need faith and you need love for humans. And that's right. It. And, and it's all about it's, changing mentality. Yeah. And it's odd how such simple, like, big L liberal, like, kind of philosophically liberal-minded po- these ideas are, mm-hmm. but how how you could take such a simple truth that I think most humans growing up in any c- claiming freedom-loving democracy would ascribe to and believe in, mm-hmm. uh, especially any that's, like, influenced by Christianity, because it's a lot of it is just touting values of, of Jesus, of the Bible, that kind of thing. Right. But anyway, it's... And just they just become so unlikable in these stories. Now, I guess granted that's just because I think the stories are unlikable, but, and it's also, I think it's a matter of, and we're, we're probably going to allude back to, at least I assume we'll allude back a bit to the Antigone episode when I know you disliked the heavy handedness there. Yeah. I just thought the heavy handedness here was, was quadruply. So, and and again, (laughs) at least in Antigone, I remember we untangled this or I kind of tried to explain myself in that episode, but I think the way that episode overlaps themes and interweaves them makes the heavy handedness not as off putting. But mm-hmm. in here, it's just like there is only one thing you'll learn by the end. And the characters will tell you, by the way, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think it's yeah, I just th- thought the heavy handed moralizing was this to me is the peak of that that we've seen other than maybe some fairy tales we've covered before on yeah. the pod. Uh, let's just jump to the quotes then. I, I don't want to belabor this any more than we must. Uh, let's jump in. I have a quote I'll, I'll happily start with. And it, yeah. it, I just alluded to it. It's a quote where the character at the end of the story basically just summarizes the story. And so I'm just going to read that quote. I guess I'll mention here on the reviews, we do try and be cognizant of spoilers and avoid them. But if you're going to read these after everything we've already said, then I don't know what you're doing here. I'm going to read <laughs> the end of this and, it, and it's going to spoil the end of it. So I don't, I don't think you should read these at all. Um, anyway, the quote begins this way. When I became immortal, I survived not by thinking of myself, but through the love that dwelt in a passerby and his wife and the compassion and love they showed me. The two orphans' lives were preserved, not by what others may have intended for them, but by love that dwelt in the heart of a woman, a complete stranger, and by the love and compassion she showed them. This is awful to me. This is the worst. And the worst part is this isn't the first time at the end of that story that that angel character... Michael. does this and yeah. I, and I think another character does it too at some point there he's just reiterating the plot and the theme of the story you just read it's just awful storytelling I don't and maybe this is again by a contemporary definition right it's the expectations of what a story should be and what makes it engaging and interesting and well told mm-hmm. has changed variously over history variously over time and crucially we should say it varies pretty radically by by culture by place by language whatever apply all your filters but i just hated this i I hate getting to the end of the story and then being told what it was about it's just the worst yeah the moral is very very obvious and it there's no 
way to stray from his message. It is very much like you're railroaded the whole time. There's there's no yeah. other possible explanation for what he is saying. Like it's just <laughs> there's no other interpretation for anything. And it's odd too because I compared to I don't know. This is going to be a sweeping comparison, but whatever. Compared to just the general intellectual trends of postmodernism compared to general literary theory trends of the last 50 years, I'm actually pretty a pretty rigid, not like structuralist or, or text-based person, but I just think you can't get infinite meaning from something. I think the author matters more than the reader. Like it, mm-hmm. we've really switched to like a reader focused culture these days and like a yeah. participant. Fo- like it's basically there are certain theories out there that describe that the person who made it and the, th- and the thing even that they made don't even really matter that the person consuming it will invent or create or absorb their own meaning. I am v- pretty far from that. Pr- actually very far, I would say. Mm-hmm. But this is also absurd. Like I I don't want to go to a story like this either. This is just terrible. I don't I don't at the end of it want to think, "Oh, there's only one way to read this." I, I certainly I don't know, maybe I'm middle grounding this in a very boring way, but I just I don't want to know there's only one reading. I also don't want to ever believe there's infinite readings. I think both of those are just ludicrous. And so when a story pushes me into either of those things, there's either no meaning or one meaning. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I, I don't know. That seems really off to me. Yeah. I think we had that discussion with um, maybe the, the figure in the carpet. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I do remember that. Yeah. Um, A a more worthy story now that I look back on it. I agree. Um, But I remember too, because yeah, uh, Death of um, Ivan Ilyich was written by Tolstoy and it was another one of his, well, it's Mm -hmm. called a novella, but I mean, it was shorter. But, um, and I remembered enjoying that. So. Yeah, yeah. And it does, of course, have a message at the end. There's there's a particular theme and he is kind of teaching uh, essentially the same idea, right? Change your mentality, be a better person. But yeah. um, but the message from what I remember of that story it was not as as heavy handed and it wasn't the style. I felt like when I started to read these stories, I was um, a little excited because um, I was excited to see some of Tolstoy's ideas. And, and I knew that I had enjoyed um, Ivan Ilyich. So I was like, "Ooh, this is going to be good. And then I started reading it. and I was like, what is this? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like a, I don't even want to call it an adult version of it, but it's basically a kid's fairy tale style thing with no fantasy elements or no fantastical things that could actually be considered, in my mind anyway, is somewhat more inventive or more cool. You know, it just, it's just these bland stories of peasants, which granted, if he's trying to elevate the lives of of underlooked people, great. That's, yeah, like show me the intrigue and the the rigor or challenge of their day-to-day lives. Right. It's all worthy of, of study, but it just comes away as like, Oh, you decide to retell this really boring parable with the simplest message at the end. And right. one that even doesn't even it's repetitive in a weird way that isn't even effective. Anyway, it, um, it bothered me a lot. Uh, I challenge you now to give a quote that you liked. Did you pull even one of them that you did? I did pull one. I did. Um, yeah, let's hear it. So I'm, I I always try to pull something that I enjoy. Um, so yeah. we did talk a little bit about his style and and, and my desire to to read things with a lot of like figurative language and stuff like that. So his yeah, style yeah. with with these two stories is pretty 
pretty bare, um, but uh, there were a couple of um, subtle literary devices. And so I chose uh, his parallel structure that I found in What Men mm-hmm. Live By, the story What Men Live By. And so it says, when, and when he thought of his wife, he felt sad. But when he looked at the stranger and remembered how he had looked up at him at the shrine, his heart was glad. And then two pages later, um, it's the wife's perspective. And then it says, uh, when she remembered that he, the angel, that he had eaten their last piece of bread and that there was none for tomorrow and thought of the shirt and trousers she had given away, she felt grieved. But when she remembered how he had smiled, her heart was glad. Mm-hmm. So we see the parallel structures. These two characters are, you know, they have two very different reactions to um, Michael, the angel. And, right, right. Uh, but I liked the play there with the parallel structures. He was sad and then he was glad. She was grieved, which is sad. <laughs> and then she was right, yeah. glad. Um, and so that was nice. And he also used that um, in order to kind of highlight the theme again, which is, you know, getting beyond the self, right? They were grieved when they were thinking about how this was hurting them themselves. Um, but then they were glad when right. they noticed that it was helping somebody else. So that also ties in with the message. Yeah. And, and in a way they're, I wouldn't say they're foil characters to each other, but they they do have this metronomic, like as you were describing that, the way he rhymed that and stuff, it is yeah. this kind of back and forth, like metronome, like relationship that they have. Yeah. And yeah, I think, I mean, you're right. It was pages apart. So the, those language subtleties might be missed on someone. Mm-hmm. And I pr- probably were missed on me because everything in between didn't engage so yeah. i didn't you know part of my literary brain i think shuts down at times when if an author's not feeding me things then yeah. i don't then my brain just kind of starts to go into skim mode you know and begins just processing in a much simpler way mm-hmm. no i think yeah that's an interesting point though and i think it's well noticed and those characters i did, did you find them intriguing in any other studyable way I, they were just pretty straightforward bland like they just kind of react to the events around them and right. just have like generally reasonable points of view and I, you know, they do a good deed. Like, okay, they do a pretty fine thing. You know, it's, I don't know. There was nothing else remarkable about it. I did pull uh, from that. I think it was that story. I actually don't even remember now that I look at it. Anyway, I did pull one bit of figurative language that I thought was pretty interesting, but also didn't had some things that I didn't like. And it's when he describes a person as saying that his lungs were working like a blacksmith's bellows his heart beat like like a hammer and his legs did not seem to be his he felt that they were breaking packham was terrified and thought all this strain will be the death of me oh this is from the first one then yeah when he's trying to measure out the land yeah yeah completely i think you know as they say don't mix your metaphors there there's a there's a series of similes like I, i think that actually can work especially when they're thematically they have some relevance or whatever bearing on each other so the the industrial references there, I think, kind of work well. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, it, the foreshadowing in this, which to foreshadow, that will come up again later. That's about as good as the foreshadowing is in these stories, I think, <laughs> uh, to be fair. I'm about on Tolstoy's level on that one. But I think the foreshadowing in this is just, it's too blatant. It just is. I mean, it, he they reference him dying like several times very clearly and then he dies yeah. and in the other story they reference god all the time and then god sh- well god doesn't show up but he kind of does an angel shows up who talked to god right. and so I, the the foreshadowing didn't work i think the the 
the visual there, the imagery there does pop a bit. I think it's, again, seems fine. I'm not going to say it's like the greatest construction ever made. Yeah. List of similes about, you know, working in a, working in a, what are those called? Iron factory? Iron works? Like, what's the, what am I thinking? A blacksmith's place? Is there a noun for that? What's a noun for that? Forge? Forge? Yeah, there we go. It has like blacksmith's hangout zone. I, <laughs> the, the blacksmith cool party zone. Oh, man. Tolstoy, what are you doing? Uh, what are you doing to me? My, you're melting my brain, uh, which is fair. I think that's fine. So, no, I think even that quote is mixed. You know, I can't even, I'm not going to come away totally praiseworthy of that either. Yeah. The, uh, from that story, I thought about pulling the the final line in it, but I didn't because I, I was like, I guess it would be a spoiler. But I mean, there's just there's no way point, to avoid it. Yeah. Yep. At this point, just go in. <laughs> if the, anybody's possibly still listening to this, it's they're They don't care. <laughs> the, the very last line in the story. Uh, so in, in this story, um, the land one, it's all about how uh, Packham like is it's it, he just wants more 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 he's never satisfied with what he has yeah, as far as the land right, and right. so um he's trying to get like <clears throat> over like a hundred acres or something like that and all the stuff so the very last line is six feet from his head to his heels was all he needed because uh, his man like buried him so yeah, it, yeah that was kind of a nice i thought it was a nice contrast and kind of like a it, like it made me smirk because he was yeah, so hungry yeah. for all this land. But in the end, the only land that he needed was actually just six feet. It's a great clever. Was that the final line? Yep. That was it, the it, last it, line. Okay. Yeah. It's a great little, um, little cursive, little swirl at the end. You know, it's just like a little pen flip. Yeah. I can, I can picture the little wrist action of him just flicking it and being like, yes, this is the, how would a witty little, you know, comeback at the end or witty little touch? Yeah, it's great. It's a great line completely. Did you feel that he was writing with such wit during the lengthy paragraphs about how much stuff cost and him defining rubles versus copecks like every everything priced out to its exact cost? No, um, yeah, <laughs> like I didn't either. <laughs> that, was, that was why that line stood out so much to me. Not only was it the last line, yeah. but it was the line yeah. that I actually had an emotional reaction to where I kind of like. You know, I smirked and I like guffawed a little bit because I was like, of course. Oh, okay, that's funny. And I don't, I don't even need a line like that at every paragraph. You don't yeah. have to be Oscar Wilde. Yeah, I don't need you to flash your genius at me in a, at a constant rate. Yeah. But I, there's just so many lulls in, in those stories that I you just find kind of unforgivable. Mm-hmm. At this point, I truly, I mean, we're, we're not going to keep it under 20 minutes and that, that was a joke anyway. I don't mind cut, going long. I'm not, I don't even want to read my final quote. It's just more repetition stuff. I feel like we've are, I've beaten this into the ground as much as I could already. It's just characters explaining the story, characters saying things and you don't know why. They're just explaining things to you like you're a child reading this. Like, I feel this way now. And you're like, thank you, I guess. I, you could have just not said that or described it in a different, you know, in a mm-hmm. subtle way. Did you have any other quotes you want to get out there, though? Um, I was just going to point out. Um, yeah. There's a quote from the the land one, which is the Pokem one, Pocom or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you yeah, know yeah. the proverb, loss and gain are brothers twain. So you'll, what irked me a little bit um, reading both of these stories is just how many little proverbs and idioms and just like cliched statements yeah. that yeah. were just scattered throughout. And I was just like, really? I thought Tolstoy was supposed to be this like magnificent writer who's unique and is like the father yeah. of like a lot of writing styles and like realism and all this. Stuff. And it was just, oh man, it just, 
it ate away at me a little bit having to to read all those little just cliches just uh yeah there were too many <laughs> small blatant rhymes which there thereby or therefore become kind of uninteresting rhymes when you're just yeah. tossing it out in such an obvious manner and i at some point yeah i didn't even i didn't want to turn this into a total just railroading or something not that it really matters if we go negative you know but yeah. i did i stopped keeping track of things that were just like that line is boring or that thing is i don't know why that character said that or you know they oh they had to tell me didn't they they had to be explicit there yeah. and so yeah I, there's just a ton of that here let's move into the educational part of the show amanda we have yeah. failed to educate the audience so far uh, in terms of <laughs> in terms of literature uh, uh, but we can hopefully do so now uh, i pulled for the literary corner this week foreshadowing i saw you didn't pull anything i figured this would be a good one and probably yeah. one we've done before and probably one that you listener remember from middle school or high school english but thought we'd revisit foreshadowing or briefly talk about it the definition from penguins dictionary reads as follows the technique of arranging events and information in a narrative in such a way that later events are prepared for or shadowed forth beforehand. A well-constructed novel, for instance, will suggest at the very beginning what the outcome may be, and the end is contained in the beginning, and this gives it structural or thematic unity. Yeah, foreshadowing is great. It's good to have the end in mind when you're at the beginning. That seems an essential part of creating narrative to me. Mm-hmm. But then again, I found the foreshadowing in here so aggressive and blatant that it just was terrible. And I, I'm not even one for... It's tough when you're teaching. I mean, we've both taught people how to read, right? Not not at the most, not at the the phonemes level, or you know, I never taught like first graders or whatever. But right. I taught middle schoolers who were behind in reading and tried to teach them pretty basic stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think prediction as a mental reading strategy, as just a, a thinking strategy, is is good. I under, I like prediction. I think the problem is our culture has become overrun with prediction being the coolest and like most meaningful mental tool in, in a way where it's. I think of just like this. This to me speaks to maybe the comic book movie type thing. It's almost like easter egg hunting and then predicting what the easter egg will mean later has become the most valued insight tool which to me is like infuriating because to me that's usually the least interesting thing you can do with a work is predict ahead to other things and so i've never been much for foreshadowing anyway but i i get why it's crucial i get thematic unity is of course i mean you and i harp on that on this pod all the time that's an essential thing mm-hmm. though i think that can show up a lot more than just in foreshadowing i don't know I, and i mentioned the foreshadowing that were showed up in these references to god you know or in death and somebody dying and then they die it just felt too blatant here to me and very one note right like both of these stories yeah. utilized it and it especially when there are so few literary devices that kind of crop up in the in both of these stories like it we're like hungry for anything and the only thing that's really showing up like yeah i pointed out the parallel structure and there's a couple of proverbs and idioms that were driving me crazy but like the foreshadowing also drove me crazy just because it was so (laughs) obvious yeah yep it it was just I, I, for some reason in the, in the land one, how much land is it that it felt more obvious to me there just because the Mikhail or Michael character in the, the, who ends up being an angel. Again, there's so many references to God and God's will and obeying God that, yeah, when he turns into an angel, you just think, yeah, sure. 
that at least felt like it was because it was more fantastical. It at least felt like, oh, oh okay, there's an angel here now. Yeah. But the the other one, I don't I don't know why it struck me as so annoying, but it really did. That it was just like, okay, this this person's going to die. We get it. The whole story. He's been consuming more he's greedy like just let's just get to it then just go ahead <laughs> great final line though like you pulled yeah the in the the foreshadowing too with the uh the what men live by story the yeah. the dude with the shoes um that came yeah, in the big yeah big big guy bull yeah it was a he, there was a very obvious uh piece of foreshadow when the matriona the the wife yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like, living as he does, how should he not grow strong? Death itself can't touch such a rock as that. Okay, so oh, I sure. know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> great. I didn't even pick up on that, to be honest. Sure. No, that's perfect, though. That's a, that's a great illustration of just the amount of close reading you'll have to do while consuming these stories. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's an excellent one. The name, too, of the person is Michael. And immediately I was like, isn't that the name of an angel? I don't even, an like, angel. I haven't read um, yeah. the Bible. Like, I read the beginnings of Genesis and had to put it down because I was like, I cannot just read a list. <laughs> like, I can't do this. There's <laughs> a reason why preachers, priests, whomever, they keep Bible readings tight. They keep them short and tight, man. You, you don't want to sit down and read 30 pages of that thing. I'm telling you, I've done, I've had to do it. <laughs> I yep. mean, unless you're studying it or interested in, you know, the intellectual, academic, whatever, at those, you know, as I mentioned, those theology classes were intellectually pretty engaging. I enjoyed quite a lot of the work or, you know, to a decent degree. Yeah. But yes, the very act of reading it, I find exhausting. Yeah. And these stories kind of reflected that too. But even somebody like me who has not read and, and hasn't been to church right. in, in yeah. such a long time, immediately I was able to pick up on that. And I was like, okay, well, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Where are you from? I can't say. Yeah. They're... <laughs> Yeah, it just it comes together. I, I cannot deny that it does thematically come together, but yeah. it comes together in a way that this a second graders book report would come together or like, <laughs> you I know, like, like when I when I ask my sixth graders when we're doing theme, you know, it's like write the theme in a sentence. It comes together like that comes together. Yeah. So if you want to read something like that with more narrative, then here you go. <laughs> This, this Amanda, though, this segue to this segment is going to be one hell of a segue because <laughs> we created this section of the review. We're going to jump to the official reviews now, by the way, dear, dear listener, if you're still with us. <laughs> there are reviews we do in two parts. The first is the Russell French in memoriam. So what's good about it segment? Grandfather, if you're looking down on me from heaven or wherever now, this is a great challenge. Uh, we did put this in here explicitly for books like this or moments like this, though, when we must pick out something we liked from whatever we read. Amanda, could you start us off? What was good about this? Uh, I said that these stories are very easy to read and they don't require a whole yeah. lot of analysis in order to understand what themes and, and message Tolstoy is trying to convey. So it's a very, yep. very easy read. Impress it your next, now granted it's coronavirus, so you won't be having a dinner party probably for a bit, but yeah. impress it your next dinner party by not only saying you've read Tolstoy, <laughs> but that you found it like not, you're like, oh, it's not even that insightful. Oh, it was kind of bland. Oh, you know, it's like <laughs> you can talk down one of the most important writers in Western canon or whatever at pretty easily with great ease. Yeah. 
I, I just put for what I liked about it, the part when the angel Michael or Mikhail turns into a column of flame, I thought that was pretty great. Though yeah. again, it could have been described, I think it could have been played up a little bit more. It was like one sentence and it just, I just thought that was an interesting description and kind of had this emphatic, like almost dangerous feeling ending, though it wasn't really described that way. Yeah. But yeah, anytime you have this like infinity size column of fire just blasting through this peasant's hut, you know, it's just cool. Cool little <laughs> moment in the story. <laughs> So let's please move to the official rating part of the reviews now, Amanda. Let's uh, let's end this. Not the whole pod as we <laughs> announced at the beginning. We would not dare end the journey here. Nope. Uh, this is a one for me. I, it's heavy-handed. I didn't find the religious moralizing to be especially insightful or meaningful. I thought, found the characters completely uninteresting and pretty unmemorable. Uh, and, you know, if you're going to show the dignity of the peasant class, please do so with more care. <laughs> Writers out there, if you're out there listening to us. And you have a desire to dive into the, the the peasant class and the working conditions, you can do so in many millions of ways more intriguing than this. The fairy the plots felt fairy tale like to me, and we've had to read a lot of fairy tales for this pot, or at least I've definitely have. It's just dull. Just read anything else. Even in the collection that we've reviewed here, so many infinite things could be more rewarding, enjoyable, and complex than this. Amanda, I cede the the floor to you, or I cede my time. I will agree. A one for me as well for all the same reasons. Um, <laughs> it is, yes, an easy read, but it was just so empty of any joy to read for me because there was just such a lack of um, description. There was a lack of finesse. It was just, it was reading Aesop's fables without any of the fantastical elements and Mm -hmm. the stories are just so predictable if there would have been some kind of twist somewhere I would have found it infinitely more enjoyable but it was just so predictable I knew exactly where the story was heading from like page one and it was just not a joy for me to read and it's just yeah if you're interested in reading about somebody else's like ideas of morality and ethics and stuff like that, which, you know, I do find interesting. I would rather read his like philosophical essays where I don't have to, where I'm in the mindset of, okay, I'm going to be reading this nonfiction specifically in order to understand his ethics. And I do have his, um, what is art essay collection about, um, writing and about oh, okay. ethics and stuff like that because I I do find that interesting. I just don't want to yeah, read yeah. it in like a short story that is not actually like you know an enjoyable story. <laughs> yeah, you don't want you mean you don't want to be bludgeoned over the head with yeah. it. Instead, you'd rather be you'd rather be like engaged in a conversation. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can only hope, Amanda, that during the course of this episode, we have not bludgeoned the listener over the head. And if we have, I hope it was enjoyable (laughs) to partake in at least or fun to listen to in any way. (laughs) Sometimes these uh, these duds can be quite illuminating. To me, it recast. Now, granted, I gave Antigone a three, so I was on board, but it did recast a lot of our conversation Mm -hmm. because, again, I know you found that heavy handed, but I came out of this with, again, a deeper appreciation of just thinking, 
Antigone just seems like a genius masterwork compared to this. I, again, I, I don't know why my brain took to that comparison instead of various other things we've read, but yeah, my, that's where my head was at. Well, Antigone is, I mean, I gave it a two and I a hundred percent still believe that Antigone is infinitely better than these stories. Of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I don't even mean that as a, I'm not trying to, you know, like ply you into changing or something like that, but you just brought up great points about the, you know, I forgot what the character was, the, the, male the king you know it's like he's his role is pretty clear in the story and he doesn't get that much subtlety and anyway it was good points everyone should go listen to that one too it was a good episode but yeah just it reminded me of that and made me appreciate it all the more Mm -hmm. any final thoughts on this one amanda before we retire the pod and i shut down the feed and we just we just burn (laughs) this to the ground just i mean really guys don't read it um there's so many other tolstoy things like if you want to know what he believed like philosophically, cause he did have some interesting ideas, read his yeah, essays. Yeah. Don't read these it, stories. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Whatever his f- liberal policies about peasants were, I would love to know them. And I just can't wait to never read these again and learn them any other way. <laughs> Until next time, we will be back, all jokes aside. We'll be back next week with another episode. I have not looked ahead, but I believe it is a nonfiction it's like a 1500s nonfiction writing about some Italian artists or something. So we're at least we're getting into something quite different. We're getting into some nonfiction and a much older text. So we have that to look forward to. As always, we thank you so much for listening and sticking with us. Tolstoy, we don't thank you. Not today, not this week, maybe <laughs> next time. And we will see you next time, folks, between the classics. 